You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Solar A Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, and Wattwatches, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use. Hello and welcome to the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me as he does every week as co-host is ITK analyst David Leach. David, um, how are you? I'm well, thanks, Giles. And uh, following energy sector developments, as usual, with a huge amount of interest, as I trust our listeners are. Indeed. Look, we're kind of used to occasionally, every now and then, or when we have a second week, um, energy and renewable energy and things like that being on the front pages of the newspapers. This past week, it's been something completely different. Well, not quite completely different, but electric vehicles. Um, What do you make of this, David? It just seems to me that this... um, this seems to have plumbed new depths in, in, in ignorance and scare campaigns and foot and mouth and, um, as uh, Mark Butler, the climate change spokesman, tells us, uh, fighting against the future. Well, the first thing I'd say, it's pretty hard to plumb new depths in Australia, but uh, certainly we've been trawling along the bottom, <laughs> as usual. Um, look, um, I think it goes, to, uh, cutting through all the crap about it, it goes to the broader question of how much policy is needed Uh, to make the change uh, happen faster. Australia's always imported its vehicles, and if every other country makes electric vehicles, guess what? Australia will be importing electric vehicles as well. Other countries, though, are really charging along. We know quite that in several countries in Europe are basically uh, legislating to get rid of um, uh, internal combustion-only cars by 2040. In China, which has got less of a domestic car industry, but which is the biggest car sales in the world, um, they're really aggressively pushing electric cars. They've got 800,000 electric bus exports, I think is the number. Uh, They've got one and a half million electric car sales this year. You get tax exemptions, you get, uh, uh, and all sorts of incentives, uh, both at the manufacturer level and at the buyer level to actually use electric vehicles, because guess what? They say it's, it's a huge opportunity. It's a pollution reducer. So the big issue in my mind is how much policy is needed in Australia, as opposed to waiting for natural market evolution. And this goes to electric vehicles, but it also goes to other sectors of the economy that we can come on to. Absolutely. Yes, yeah, not just on electric vehicles. I'm just going to correct you on one thing about car manufacture. I think Australia did manage to manufacture its own cars for a while, um, with the big factories down at Holden and Chrysler and Ford in um, South Australia and Victoria. And there seems to be an interest in sort of revitalising that to some extent. Now, whether you can get a mainstream electric vehicle um, line, I don't know. But we've certainly seen the emergence of a couple of niche um, operators you know, motorbikes, buses and cargo vans and things like that. And uh, it was interesting. Well, we've got an interview with Mark Butler. Um, now, to, due to a quirk of technology, I've actually had to split this in two, namely my um, recording device sort of stopped working halfway through it. So we've actually put the bit about electric vehicles in the Driven podcast, which um, read, which will um, invite readers to listen to. And we've got um, another part of the interview on broader climate and energy policy that we'll listen to in this podcast. But just sort of briefly summing up what Mark Butler was saying 
was really they're not really thinking that much in terms of tax incentives or anything like that. They're really targeting the fleet. He noted that one half of new car sales is fleet purchases in Australia. Now, by giving them a $20,000 accelerated depreciation option for electric vehicles, they hope to attract fleets into um, electric vehicles, encouraged by the fact that they will think about the total life cost of electric vehicle, which is probably a lot more comparable to a petrol and diesel car than the ticket price. So it's an interesting strategy, and he thinks that once all that is set in place and the infrastructure is built, uh, that means the charging networks, then once that ticket price comes down, he thinks it's going to be taken up very, very quickly. So, um, Not to mention, you know, the national interest in uh, reducing oil imports. I mean, uh, uh, that's a, a big thing for China and it's a big country for any, it's a big area for any country that imports all of its oil. I mean, you know, one of the things in the background we hear about Australia is we don't have a strategic oil reserve like the United States has, or at least I don't know of it. Uh, no, but electric well, vehicles, you know, are, are assistance there. Absolutely, absolutely, yes. Well, we're supposed to have an 80-day, I think, reserve, and I think we've actually ended up getting a 23-day reserve, which won't be a 23-day reserve at all, because if it ever came down to the fact that we had to use that reserve, then you know that um, the general public will probably be excluded pretty quickly and it'll be with, um, held for emergency services and um, other essential deliveries. So, um, anyway. But, look, let's move on. Um, look, maybe right now is probably the time that we should list to, listen to the rest of this interview um, with, um, or listen to this interview with Matt Butler. Uh, I caught up, he was up in the Northern Rivers area in my my part of the world um, in this past couple of days and I caught up with him and as I explained, um, the the recorder broke so I had to sort of uh, cut and paste. We've got half the interview on the Driven podcast about electric vehicles and here's about 10 to 12 minutes when I was talking to Mark Butler about the climate and energy policies that Labor proposes if they get elected. Just on the climate policies... Um, when will Labor um, release more details and will Labor release some of the costings um, of the emissions reduction targets during the campaign? Well, (laughs) we have the most detailed comprehensive climate change action plan I think any major party has taken to a federal election. It is so much more detailed than the government with all of the resources that government has at its fingertips with agencies and so on. Um, I'm somewhat bemused by by, uh, the the questions I get about more detail. We have so much more detail than the government has on our emission reductions target uh, and on the different policies, sector by sector, that we'll be pursuing to make sure that we get to a 45% reduction by 2030. Now, there are some levels of of detail that, that frankly, are not not responsible for us to finalise while we're in opposition without the resources of agencies. And indeed, business and other stakeholders want us, if we're elected in May, to work on those details in government. For example, how the baselines for a safeguards mechanism for the covered entities, the 250 or so biggest polluters, how those baselines would be set, um, what emissions intensive trade exposed arrangements would be put in place to protect the competitiveness of some of those facilities. All of those things really need to be developed in government. Business doesn't want us to develop them in opposition given that we don't have the resources of agencies to do that. So um, so I think I think we have we have an incredibly detailed policy. We have we have a, an energy policy uh, based on the national energy guarantee and all the modelling that was done by the government for that. We have an, a, a bunch of different modelling that has shown that that our more ambitious target for renewables will reduce wholesale power prices beyond the government's modelling, if anything. 
Uh, and, and we have a range of different pieces of modelling around fuel efficiency standards in transport and around electric vehicles that I think makes a very compelling case for our plans in transport. Mm. How quickly will Labor move to implement its, um, to, to further the uh, renewable energy target and, the, and, and that 50% target? You've talked about possibly reverse auctions and things like that. Um, you've also talked about your infrastructure fund. How, what, um, what will be the speed with, um, I mean, you, will you hold auctions for instance this year? Will you, um, will you wait till next year? Uh, well, across the climate portfolio, including energy, um, our view is we need to act quickly. Uh, for five years we've seen pollution rise, we've seen investor confidence plummet, we've seen confidence in the reliability of our electricity, uh, electricity system uh, reduce as well. So, so uh, I know Bill uh, and, and the rest of the team and certainly I take the view that this is, this is something we need to act on very quickly. Uh, if we are going to achieve the emissions reductions that we must achieve, uh, our responsibility to our children and our grandchildren require us to achieve, we need to move quickly because things are going very much in the wrong direction. We're pretty much the only major advanced economy where pollution is going up, not coming down. So across the climate portfolio, we want to act quickly. In energy, what Bill and I have said is that we, we will, if we win the election, uh, we will invite the coalition to reconsider what I think was a profound mistake last year, to dump the national energy guarantee, to dump a prime minister in in the course of that as well, uh, and see whether they, they are willing to come back to the table and work on a bipartisan mechanism that will be enduring and stable. Now, if they don't, we're not going to wait for them. We're not going to wait for them. We will, as you've indicated, move to a more direct approach of, of underpinning investment in renewables in the system. That will also require us to sit down with the COAG Energy Council pretty quickly. Uh, I, um, I think that Energy Council is, is in a pretty good place spite of the fact that there are different, obviously different political parties represented at, at that table, the problem is not really any of them. The problem is the current Commonwealth Government. I think if we're able to win the election, I think there's, there's a good foundation for the Energy Council to do good work as well in implementing a whole range of the other recommendations we've had from the Finkel report and others. What will you do with the UNGI scheme, this underwriting new generation investment scheme that's been run with by the Coalition and has identified 12 shortlisted um, projects without really any detail being presented so far? Well, so, some, of these, uh, some of these projects um, uh, I'm sure have merit, um, probably on their own feet. Uh, some of them, the, uh, the, the, this sort of ideological desperation the Coalition Party Room has to find a way to, to underpin new coal is something that I've, you know, and Bill and the team have very strongly opposed. Uh, and. Um, uh, but, but I think the problem, the biggest problem with this list that Angus Taylor has put out is it's, it's incredibly unclear where, where this fits into the overall scheme of things. Mm. I mean, what work is this scheme trying to do? Uh, I describe Angus and, and the others who led the charge against the National Energy Guarantee and Malcolm Turnbull as the dog that caught the car. Uh, they, they knew what they were after, but having caught the car, and having been given responsibility for fixing the energy crisis, I don't think Angus has a clue how to do it. So, so they've put together this list of, of projects, but it's not clear to me how that fits into what the country needs by way of new investment or reliability over, over the coming number of decades. So we'll, we'll have a look at the list. Um, I can't see how the government, particularly given the election will be called within days, will, 
will have entered into any sort of binding contract. So, so we'll consider ourselves, if we win the election, free to have a look at the list and see how it fits into uh, our broader plans. Uh, I think, though, that the, the overarching problem with it is it's not clear what the question um, that, that, was, that was being answered through this list was. Um, you know, was it the Commonwealth doing a piece of analysis saying that we needed 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 megawatts built over the next several years? I mean, that's really how a responsible government goes about underpinning new investment. Yeah. The key in the future is going to be about the dispatchability of energy, particularly as we get more renewables into the system and we've got sort of 50% targets in most states now and a lot of coal retiring in New South Wales. How will you approach this? Will it be just through the NEG? Will it be through the way that you conduct auctions? Will it be um, through liaising with AEMO and their various programs? Um, and, um, and also with this, um, this new infrastructure, this, in, this, this um, energy modernisation fund, as, as you've called it, which is essentially making sure there's enough network capacity and links to, to, to underpin this? Uh, well, I think that, that's something I want to engage with the states, uh, the electricity agencies. Obviously, I don't have direct access to them uh, from opposition and industry about very quickly. Uh, you know, a lot of the focus, for example, from our 50% renewable energy target has been on new generation, but really the challenge having, having reached 20% or thereabouts in the NEM of renewables, the, ch the challenge in the next phase of investment is, as you say, to firm up uh, that and all additional renewables investment. And, and how you do that, in a NEG context, do you do it through the reliability obligation uh, or in a context of com the Commonwealth taking a more direct approach to contracting, do you, do you bundle up um, uh, the question of firming with new generation is something I've got a relatively open mind about and would want to engage with as that, those groups, the Energy Council, uh, the electricity agencies, industry and so on and so forth. What is very clear though is that the cost of firmed up renewables is already very attractive, already cheaper than building new coal. Um, leaving aside the pollution, the carbon risk, the climate imperative around new coal, uh, the cost of firmed up renewables is already cheaper. We know that from some of the snowy hydro tenders that that brought, I think, about 800 megawatts of new firmed up renewables into the system at about $70 a megawatt hour. Um, the industry tells me that they, they, they'll probably be able to beat that cost. Uh, this is a no-brainer again. Firmed up renewables is now the cheapest way to build new dispatchable power, even, even discounting the, the carbon issue. We uh, reported um, earlier this week on the UK national grid operator had actually started doing studies preparing for 100% renewables by 2025 and it was really interesting what it was talking about, um, not so much worried about the technology but making sure that the market rules and the systems were in place. Is that something that Australia should be looking at? Well, uh, uh, and I'm trying to remember who, I think it was CSIRO did a 100% renewable study back when we were last in government uh, and, um, you know, it's it's... <laughs> I remember talking to people who, who remember the early days of renewables 20 years ago when, when there were some who said that anything more than 2% renewables in the grid would fry the grid and you know, was unsustainable and then they said anything more than 20% was unsustainable. Uh, what is clear is this, this is ultimately a question of, of engineering um, and, and economics to coin a phrase used by the former Prime Minister Turnbull. Uh, you know, the engineering is there, the economics is becoming clearer too, particularly for a country that needs to rebuild its, its infrastructure. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're not at that point yet, I don't think, of doing that work. I mean, our real focus, if we win the election, will be getting the energy sector back 
back into shape, getting some investor confidence there that we're going to need, particularly in a state like New South Wales, where there will, you know, its coal is proving itself to be increasingly unreliable, particularly over summers. Um, but uh, but getting getting some confidence back into building new generation, making sure that there's good firming technology being brought into the system, and as you alluded to earlier, uh, making sure that our grid is being built in a way that supports that, I think will be our immediate focus. Mark Butler, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Giles. And so that was Mark Butler, Labor's climate change uh, spokesman. Apologies for the uh, quality of the sound. It wasn't entirely clear. I did have to re uh, record that part on my iPhone, which was um, a bit unusual. Anyway, um, David, look, um, interesting. I mean, they're going to, obviously, they're, they're saying they're going to move quickly um, to put in their policies. Um, and I guess um, I guess they will need to, really. Yes, that, that's, uh, there's plenty of speed needed. But I think the emerging issue always is around the transmission. So... Uh, of all of the um, uh, ALP, federal ALP policies, it's transmission, in my opinion, uh, that is the one uh, where some money and direct investment and a bit of a command and control environment, um, uh, there's a war on type style, uh, would be of m m most use. You know, the um, I still I strongly view that if the transmission's built. Uh, the wind and the solar guys, and you don't have to worry about MLFs anymore because because guess what? There's plenty of capacity, and there's you know, like a, a minimum M MLF that you're guaranteed for ten years, as was suggested last week, or something or something of that sort. That uh, the industry will get its confidence back again, and and we can keep moving forward. Indeed, indeed. Look, let's um, look at some of the other news around the place. Now, um, Snowy Hydro, it emerged in a very, um, in, a, in a press release that was actually published on an Italian company's website. Now, this Italian company, um, God, I've forgotten it, Cellini, um, and I can't remember the second part of their name, but um, they won... Uh, they won a. Um, they've actually won in in tandem with Clough Engineering from Australia the Snow Hydro contract. Interesting that it revealed that it was five point one billion dollars, which is more than the advertised price of four point five billion dollars from Snowy Hydro. Um, interesting debate here about whether it's actually a um, an increase in cost because four point five goes out to five point one, or whether we should actually accept Snowy Hydro's line that this is actually real dollars and everything's under control and we shouldn't have any worries cause to worry. Um, David, there's um, there's um, two very strong sides to this debate, isn't, isn't there? Well, you know, Renew Economy broke this story first, but it's uh, since been picked up by the ABC, the Australian, and I noticed there's an article in the AFR about it, the Financial Review about it today. Look, I'm perfectly happy to accept the idea that $4.5 billion real is the same as $5.1 billion nominal. Uh, I would argue that real, a real number isn't real. The only thing it isn't is, is real because it's just a, a number that lives in a spreadsheet that you never see in the real world because uh, it's, it's um, adjusted for inflation um, in a spreadsheet and, and it's not the number you pay. So the real point is that they're going to be earning revenues on uh, an investment of 5.1 billion plus nominal dollars and there will be other costs and things involved Look, I think uh, Snowy made a mess of this itself, to, quite frankly. Uh, it's normal practice for companies when they, um, uh, when there are events that occur for the, you know, investor relations or corporate affairs person to be on hand to insist, to assist media to, to deal with the news of the day, which is exactly what this is. And yet uh, Snowy wasn't available on the day, to put it mildly. 
Um, <laughs> well, they, re- they, they actually refused to be available, but anyway, that's another matter. <laughs> and, and so, you know, it's easy. it was easy to misinterpret the, the release. Look, we wait and see what happens to Snowy. It is a big project. Um, uh, here at ITK, I don't know about Renew Economy, but at ITK, we're, we're kind of a supporter of renewable energy. We're a supporter of pumped hydro. But that doesn't mean uh, that just like... Uh, uh, I don't know, uh, renewable wave energy, that it's, it's uh, absolved from being analysed in a perfectly, you know, rational way. David, look, it, it's interesting. I'm not too sure whether it's actually a misinterpretation or not, but um, certainly, um, you know, there, there, there's two ways of describing that number. I'm not too sure that we actually got it wrong, as you've just explained. But what was interesting about our article was the number of people that emailed us and phoned us and texted us and produced documents pointing to the fact that they, and many people, expect a further blowout in um, the cost or a further increase in the cost of the Snowy 2.0 scheme. They point to the past experiences with sort of so-called mega projects the past experience with other pumped hydro projects now we don't know whether that's the case but but i guess it's interesting to sort of think that um you know the electricity system is a wonderful thing it's got a remarkable balance of supply and demand and i think the energy industry is much the same i think for every project there's an equal number of um people who support it and an equal number of people who detract it Giles, what I will say is about any project if you're going to do it you've got to push on there'll always be people who doubt everything you do in the world and uh, you know you just uh, have to push on if you believe in what you're doing and let we'll, we'll be following snowy too with interest and let's just see how it goes yes well one project that we might not be following too closely because it's probably not going to happen is the solar tower project down in um, south australia this is the port augusta uh, solar tower a 650 million dollar project solar tower and molten salt storage that probably would have been 750 million dollars because they're proposing to add a 100 megawatt uh, sorry 70 megawatt so- uh, solar PV farm. Look, it looks like they failed to make, um, well, they did fail to make financial close. They've been given a couple of extensions by the South Australian government. They've obviously lost patience and said, no, that's it. We're putting it back out to tender. Solar Reserve, the US company that wanted to build this project, is now trying to sell it um, potentially to another solar thermal company, although I'm not too sure whether that's actually going to work. Look, this is interesting, David. It was a remarkable contract that was actually produced to attract them, get them to sort of first base. But they never really moved on from there. I guess one of the problems is that um, they have not put enough runs on the board in the Nevada plant Crescent Dunes, um, firstly with uh, problems with their tank and then other sort of um, teething issues, as you might call them. And I guess that just made the financiers... um, very uh, flighty and when finances get flighty they demand more compensation for the risk they think they're about to absorb and um, I suppose that just sort of put the whole thing out of um, economic reality. Look Giles to be frank I think it was a stupid project for South Australia I'm not saying it's a stupid project in general but South Australia is a relatively small state in terms of electricity uh, about the size of Ireland and this plant is a brand new technology. And you're right, Crescent Dunes had a lot of teething problems. That Crescent Dunes seems to be back on track in the past few months. Uh, but, you know, there was a huge gap there. Um, uh, this, it just there were a lot of other options that South Australia could adopt. And personally, I wouldn't be comfortable investing so much and uh, putting so much at risk on such a brand new technology. It's, you know, I think... Uh, 
uh, bigger markets are the place to try out the, you know, somewhere like China's the place to put a couple of these in and, and, and sort out the teething difficulties, not a market where it's criti- a critical piece of infrastructure like South Australia. But it, certainly what, what uh, we hope solar thermal does well, uh, but in the meantime, what it does do is uh, put on the table the South Australian contract, there are three or four pumped hydro proposals over there. Uh, there's, uh, you know, new transmission lines mooted. Uh, there's uh, the potential of doing more with batteries for, for the daily peak. Uh, there's a lot of other um, uh, fish in the ocean besides this one. Yeah, look, I'm going to disagree with you about. Look, I take your point about it. Sort of, you know, the the, the, the crucial role that would have played in a very small grid. Um, still, I just think it was a um, an interesting, a, a wonderful signpost to the future. Um, when you see these things in operations, they're quite remarkable, and they um, there was a lot of hope invested in it, and, and and maybe that's where the problem lay. There was more hope than actual reality but um, I do wish uh, we could see one sometime in sometime in Australia and you mentioned China they've actually commissioning a 110 megawatt project in there at the moment Israel has just um, in the process of commissioning their own 100 megawatt solar tower in Abengoa and our um, Acciona, I should say in Spanish, um, are building a, um, a large solar tower in, um, in Chile and um, there's still another couple of projects to be built in South Africa. Anyway, moving on now, you tell me that you went to a... Um, An AIE a- presentation or with the young en- YEP, which is the Young Energy Professionals and the AIE is the Australian Institute of Energy and we heard from uh, uh, Dylan McConnell and Guy, um, who's uh, uh, Guy Dundas, and um, and uh, the head of Gordon uh, Weiss, the head of Energetics, uh, on their views on on the various um, policies of the government of the of today and the opposition uh, in relation to the carbon targets, and uh, just a discussion of the issues. Uh, for me, um, I guess the main point to emerge from it all was the philosophical debate about the role of government and how much policy is needed. So it's the same thing as with electric vehicles. Can you just wait uh, for electric vehicles to let other countries do all the work or do you have to have policy of your own? Can you just, if if wind and solar are are competitive in the market um, uh, today, can you just let them get in gradually uh, or do you need policy to force them into the system? So I start from the point of view that uh, uh, global warming is a much bigger problem and the world is not doing anywhere near enough to, uh, to fix it all. Uh, Australia uh, can afford to do its share um, at least and so more policy is actually preferred to less policy um, and that we should have policy around electric vehicles. We should certainly have policy about renewable energy uh, including things like the transmission fund but we also need policy to deal with all the rest of the, the, the farming, the land clearing, uh, the cows, um, and the uh, decarbonisation of industry in general. In, um, every company in Australia is going to be emission, uh, emissions uh, intensive uh, export exposed. So they're all going to be looking for exemptions from um, uh, the, the Labor Party policy should it be getting into government be able to get it into the Senate. And, and so that's where a lot of work needs to be done. And, you know, I actually asked all three of those speakers what they actually thought the emissions reductions we would have achieved in 2030 are. And I wouldn't attach too much weight to the answer except to just probably reflect their personality more than anything. But Dylan said 45%, uh, uh, Guy said 40%, and um, uh, uh, Gordon said 30%. So none of those numbers are good enough. That's uh, for Australia. And, 
you know, it's easy to be pessimistic about it. So I still think myself, uh, to end this long burst of speech, that uh, more policy will come rather than less as, as we move forward. Well, it certainly seems so. If we're going to um, aim for a 45% renew, um, sorry, uh, emissions reduction target, which um, Labor has um, advertised um, and intends to introduce um, should it get elected. Look, I guess um, the next time we speak, almost certainly an election will have been called unless something remarkable happens. But um, then we're just going to get into, into polyspeak uh, for the next four weeks. And... Um, We'll probably just have to sit and wait that out and um, and, and, and see what happens next. I'm, I'm, I'm sure we'll uh, watch in. And I, I somehow think, Giles, that we find something to do rather than just uh, wait it out. I, I expect our uh, listeners will be hearing from us in the meantime. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Um, thanks very much to our, spo- uh, spons- our sponsors, Watchers and Solaray Energy. Um, thank you very much for your ongoing support. It's just central for this podcast. And thanks to you, David. And thanks to our listeners. And uh, we'll be back again next week. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Solaray Energy, leading innovators of smart energy management technology. Experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, they're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solaray.com.au and secure your energy future today. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Wattwatches, makers of ultra-smart devices to manage electricity use and costs, accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time. Visit whatwatches.com.au and take control of your energy use.